This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Billy Porter, we continue the conversation of the story of his life and where he's headed and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this re-air from my eighth episode as I come up on my three-year anniversary of Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. Keep on keeping on. Okay, so we're going to do a little more jumping here. Hold on. Uh, going to Angels in America. Yeah. You were beyond prepared for that. Yes. <laughs> Emotionally, spiritually, actually. Yes. With the memorization of the lines. Yes. Can we can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. About knowing knowing what to be prepared for. And or specifically, you know, what you learned from just Angels in America in general. Because well, I have like a bunch of questions on it. Well, I always talk to my students and I always say, and I don't really know where this came from. I mean, it came from my training at Carnegie Mellon. It was, you know, it was always about preparation. You know, when preparation, success is when preparation and opportunity meet. You know, that's also another thing I got from Oprah. But her definition of luck, you know, preparation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so I don't know. I just you look at the market. I always tell people, look at the marketplace and see what you're right for inside the marketplace. The things that you're really right for and the things that you love and you may not be right for. But, you know, at some point, somebody might cast it non-traditionally. Yeah. Anything. Just look at it and familiarize yourself and be ready. I don't know how many times I got telephone calls for auditions the next day. For stuff that was running on Broadway or stuff that was coming. And I was always ready. Mm. I always knew what was happening. I always knew what was going on. I go to theater at least two, three times a week my whole life. You know, and so when I was in Greece and Angels of America opened right across this street and we were at the Eugene O'Neill Theater, I walked around the corner and sat and watched Angels of America. And I just thought, that's the representation that I'm not seeing, that I've never seen. That's what I want to do. And how the fuck am I going to get from this to that nobody's gonna nobody's gonna put me in the same it's just not gonna happen yeah 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 <laughs> it's like like almost unfathomable you know nobody's gonna see that yeah you know unless i make them see it um and you got right to that making them see it well that was 94 the revival of Angels in America off Broadway was 2010. So there's some And time. they still didn't want to see me. You know, so. So, okay, so how was that then? Them not wanting to see you, you going in the room auditioning for that. I told was you there... auditions are my favorite thing. I know you. Well, I... that's when I get to do, that's when I get to show you. So do you, did you like feel, and I don't even, I don't want to like, but did you feel like a pushback from before you went in the room? Were you like, yeah, did course. you realize like there was a whole. Child, they, kinda... was, they saw the world for three months and did not have an audition. And it's interesting because there was something inside of me at that point, because I had been through so much at that point that it was like, child, if they don't cast me in this, good luck with your project. You know, like I didn't, <laughs> I had no, like I just knew that it's, 
it's me or good luck with your product. Like I, I, I don't have, I can't change it mm-hmm. other than all of the work that I've already done, all of the life that I've lived, everything that I've brought to the table already, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and speaking of specific with your dreams, I didn't even know I was doing it, but I, I ran into somebody in the street you know, a fan, a well-meaning fan who was sort of reprimanding me for not being on stage for a number of years. You need to be on stage. You need to be. I was like, I don't thank you <laughs> for missing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for missing me because that's what you're saying. And so I received that, but I'm not stepping another foot on stage until it's exactly what I want mm. on my terms. What would that be? Nothing short of Angels in America is what I said. Nothing short of Angels of America. And you spoke it. A week later, they announced the revival. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know. Yeah. And, and, you know, they were seeing people, seeing people, seeing people. I I wasn't getting a call. I wasn't getting a call. And I had done a residency at the Public Theater under George Wolfe around 2000. To, to 2005 where he worked on um, Carolina Change and I was in the room for that and so Tony knew me mm. Tony Kushner knew me but once again he didn't know that side of me but he was you know open to seeing me um, I saw him out at a at a big fancy dinner like the week after it was announced and I was like I just want you to know I'm, I would come out of semi-retirement for angels so just keep that in the back of your head let him know um, no. you know, and so this is an interesting story because I was going to Equinox, Equinox at the time. And so was he on 59th and for like three weeks, every time I went to Equinox, I would see him and, you know, as artists, we're not going at the same time. There are random times because every day is different. Oh, yeah. So I was going at a different time every day and probably 93% of the time he was there. What are the odds? And so we would see each other and wave, hi, how you doing? I didn't say anything. Finally, like at the end of the third week, he was like, have you gotten your audition for Angels yet? Just inquiring. I was like, "Mm mm-mm. The next day I got the call. Wow. And my agent was panicked, you know, because they wanted me to come in the next day and prepare three scenes. And that's when I said, there's one role in the entirety of everything that exists. (laughs) That is right for me. It's been around for 20 years. If I don't already know it, that's my fault. Mm. I know every fucking word. So what scenes do they need? Mm. And I went in the next day. Oh my God. You know, I pulled out my script from storage. I went to storage and pulled out my script and read the script and got the scenes and rememorized and went in the next day and opened up my mouth to say the first line and an hour later one hour I was in the room for an hour Tony Kushner got up from the table with tears in his eyes gave me a bear hug and said you are the voice I had in my head when I wrote this play 25 years ago I know (laughs) I know I've just been trying to get somebody to do it (laughs) that's why I love auditions the entire room was like aghast. Yeah. <laughs> it was like 
you're like, good luck with your project. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, I can do a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of other people can do a lot of stuff. I do know what I do that nobody else does. Hmm. You have to understand the thing that you bring to the table that nobody else brings. We all have something like that. We all have that special thing, you know, and that thing was was thwarted for so many years because it wasn't cool to be gay. You know, the first thing they say in acting school is you have to know who you are. You have to be true to who you are. You know, you have to know, you have to, in order to be a good actor. And then the next thing you do is tell me I have to change who I am. It was like you're like, is anyone else seeing this? <laughs> it's so like it just it's very it was a very difficult thing. <laughs> yeah. And th- I guess you would say thoroughly prepared you for the world. Yeah. <laughs> and and <life>. subsequently. <laughs> yeah. You're very good at knowing what you can do, which makes you very unique. Because once you get to the city, everyone can sing, everyone's cute, everyone can do it. And you have to find what makes you unique, what you just said. Is there, that's obviously cultivated over time. Is there advice that you would give someone going to these auditions and going to these, you know, singing and acting and everything? They're like, they just want to, this is a two-part question. So going to these auditions, singing, acting, they want to get the job. Maybe they're desperate for it. They're showing that desperation. But knowing, knowing that your time is coming not showing the desperation, becoming secure in that. It's a fine line. It's such a fine line because having um, belief in yourself and having confidence um, is different from being cocky. But the line is like... Very thin. It's such a thin line. It's very thin like as thin as a thread can you define crossover so quickly (laughs) you know dip your foot go back (laughs) and i've seen and i've seen the difference you know um i don't know it was it was the embracing of the totality of who and what i am that allowed for me to settle in and just show all of that yeah you know and eventually the world will catch up you know you have to believe that i never ever thought it would look like lola i didn't even know to dream to look at it like that you know to look for something like that yeah you know this was the 80s i came out in the 80s i was trying to be the first black Jean or the first black you know, Freddie and and um, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels are, you know, a black MC in the revival of Cabaret where they told me when I asked for an audition that that's not the story they're telling. It's like, oh, so you're not telling a story of discrimination <laughs> and oppression? That's not the story you're telling? Because, you know. That's, yeah. yeah. I bought a book I do for know. the entire staff, <laughs> for the entire creative team called um oh what's the name of the book oh sh- oh my god um growing up black in nazi germany 
um, I can't remember the title right now, but it's Growing Up Black in Nazi Germany. And I sent Write about, it down. and I sent, it's a title and then the subtitle is Growing Up Black in Nazi Germany. And I uh, sent that book. I signed a copy of that book to like 10 people at the roundabout, including the director, including the writer. I just sent them all to them. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. It's like, you know, nobody talks about that part of it. And I try not to harbor on that part of it because there was a bigger plan. You know, there was a bigger plan for me outside of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. You know, I couldn't get an audition for that show. I couldn't even get seen for that show 20 years ago. Huh. But they sure as hell wanted me to replace on Broadway. I was like, but I just did when I needed it. <laughs> I just created my own shit down the street. You know, it's yeah. like, it was really, really interesting, you know, because it just, it's like, she's iconic. You know, Miss Lola is iconic. And you've yeah. never seen it before. Nobody talks about that part of it. Nobody talks about the trailblazing part of it because we're past that, everybody thinks. You know, it's never been a black man. Hmm. It's never been a black man. I'm not talking about the fucking maid in La Caja I'm talking about Zaza in the front. You know, who's the emotional glue of yeah. the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not the sidekick. You know, and it just it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. That's uh, it's just so it's so amazing because you've you have literally trailblazed this right right down the street. Yeah. And we hear so often that it's like, oh, it's so it's so good to be yourself, be yourself, be who you are. It's but easy it's easy to be who you are when what you are is what's popular. Yeah. I say that all the time. <laughs> and being a black faggot was not popular for a really long time. Mm. For anybody. And it's barely popular now. I am getting some I'm getting some work. <laughs> I'm very happy about it. <laughs> and I'm trying to parlay that into parlay that. you know. The rest of my life, like up, and just make sure that I'm capitalizing on it while we're still popular. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so I want to talk about I want to talk about the soul of Richard Rogers. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome for creating that. <laughs> I listen. To, I know you're like okay, great. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you. The, yeah. When so was that was that a long term thought? Like, did you heard those songs back when you were a kid? And you're like, oh, these have. You know, like you saw it for what it was versus like, mm, I, like carefully taught, you know, like those yeah, kind of things. Or was, was that? It was when I was in school at Carnegie Mellon and my voice was still what it was then in my teenage and 20, my teenage years in my, you know, in my 20s. Yeah. You know, it was a very specific, unique voice and traditional male tenor musical theater things were were not working for me. They were in the wrong key or I would have to change the key or, you know, whatever. Mm. And so that 
sort of ignited the spark of you have to create your own sound. You have to create, you have to show people what the sound is that you bring that's unique and exclusive to you. Hmm. Which was, you know, getting back to Pity the Child when it says ad lib, I'm not gonna sing it like the man on the record. I'm gonna do what my version is, especially when it says ad lib. Now, you know, you get into this, this space and back then really, you know, it's still, there's still um, grumblings, purists grumbling. Um, But I also took, you know, I came to New York City and the place that you went to practice your stuff, you know, were the cabaret spaces. And so I started doing cabaret shows and it's like, I'm not gonna just show up and sing any of this music traditionally. I'm gonna put my own spin on it because it's my own personal show. Yeah. So I started really early rearranging things and reinterpreting, you know, classics and making them my own with, you know, working with musical directors and things of that nature. And so I've just always been doing it. Hmm. And um, I did it with a a Sondheim review um, that we worked exclusively with Sondheim on that you know, became a Sondheim review with an all black cast where Katina cr- Miller was in it and it was like her first, jo- one of her first jobs and Leslie Odom Jr. is one of his first jobs and Brian Terrell Clark, one of his first jobs and, you know, Rima Webb and, um, uh, yeah, it was just uh, Josh Henry, you know, like yeah. all the people who are now the blackters and blacktresses that everybody wants. Yeah. You know, I was the person who, I was one of the people hmm. who said to them, come over here and be exactly who you are. Wow. Don't change the tone of your voice. Don't change the sound of it to sound like them white people. Because that's not what you're going to get hired for. You're going to get hired ultimately for the thing that makes you special. Leslie Ellum Jr. came in singing like that. Hmm. You know, and the only thing people wanted to do was make him more traditional sounding. And it's like, mm, just sing like that. Yeah, be you. Now, find levels inside of it, but sing like that. Don't change yourself. Um, that's the lesson that I taught before I was successful. And that's the lesson that I'm glad I used on myself. <laughs> it yeah. has eventually worked for me. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> when did you create that all on your own? The whole, the whole Sondheim. Uh, me and my you, writing partner. Yeah, you went and arranged that, and then prepared a full yeah, product. Me for and him. my writing partner, and so James St. Planer. And so when we, somebody, uh, Susie Dietz, who was the head of Reprise out in Los Angeles at the time, um, commissioned me to do the same thing with Richard Rogers. Mm. And we did it as a concert in 2009. And then when I got this this record deal with Sony, it was like they wanted something like that. And I thought, well, let me go back to what we had done. And I just really updated it and made and made the focus 
the more current sound. You know, the concert that we had done in 2009 was sort of like an unspoken historical romp through African-American musical idioms, starting with jazz and, you know, moving all the way up. But this, I wanted it to be cohesively one sound and a sound that doesn't get much play on Broadway. You know, that sound doesn't get much play. R&B, soul. You know, we have Hamilton now, and it's great. Mm. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful show. Um, but the the representation that is music, singing, as opposed to rapping, it's not really represented. Yeah, no. As much as it could be and, and in a real contemporary way and a real authentic contemporary way. So I'm trying to, you're trying to an, work on that. You're such an educator. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. It's just, it's for some, you know, maybe prior to listening to our conversation here, they might, it can open their minds up to how much more you're capable of you know, if you don't listen to those other voices who p- pull you back down and say, no, no, no. And that comes from fear. Yeah. And you've been dodging that <laughs> in and outside of yourself. Yeah. And it's worked, worked so well. That's just so incredible. That's such, I love that album. Everyone needs to listen to that. <laughs> it's incredible. You. It's on YouTube too. So just go right to YouTube. <laughs> your writing career and yes. your directing career. Yes. We'll start it's with slowly beginning. <laughs> yes, it, and it's, it's beginning. Slow, slow mm-hmm. process. <laughs> it's slowly happening. We need to emphasize that. <laughs> it's slowly happening. What's your writing process? Do you write in the day? Do you like morning writing, evening writing, music? Do you listen to any music while you it's do it? It's usually in the morning. Okay. I'm best, you know, waking up at six or seven. And just whatever it is, getting it done before noon. You know, the difficult part for me as a writer is that writing is still supplemental financially. You know, like I wasn't making any money until very recently as a writer. Right. You know, I make money as a director scattered. So I still have to go to work. I still have to do eight shows a week. I still have to, you know, to make the money so that I can do that. So that I can create this other version of myself, which, you know, in the valley, <laughs> you know, of my life, yeah. I realized I need just as much, if not more, than actually being on stage and, and performing. To write and direct. To write and direct and create it. You know, to create the the thing I'm not seeing. You know, to really mm. hunker down and tell my story. Yes. Yeah. Do you have morning rituals? Is there something you do in the morning when you wake up every day or almost Yeah, I wake up day? and I write in my journal and have coffee and write in my journal every day. And that's from the artist way morning pages. I've okay. carried that yes. for the last 17 years. It's a great book. It, no, um, question for you with that. I don't write it longhand. Oh, like okay. Say. Oh, okay. I, I've moved beyond that. <laughs> I type more. it in my journal. Okay. <laughs> but I did longhand for many years. Hmm. 
Do you have evening rituals before you go to bed? Anything you uh, do? No, not really. Nothing in particular. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, okay. So, December twenty. This past December twenty seventh was twenty seven years for you. Am I saying that correctly? Am I correct? Correctly. So I got here in in New York, December twenty seventh, nineteen ninety. So what is that? 20, yeah, twenty seven. Yeah, two thousand seventeen. That was two thousand. Yeah, if I did the math correctly. Hope I didn't yes. let you down, Mom. Okay, she's a math teacher. So uh, this is a little bit of a cliche question, but I'm interested if anything comes to mind. Advice you would have given yourself 27 years, or if you could give yourself advice 27 years ago, what you would tell yourself from that first. <laughs> or fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy, bumpy. ride. I fasten love that. Them I love them now, boo. <laughs> because where the shoulder strap, <laughs> it's gonna take you. Okay, okay. So, uh, watching your friends grow up in the business, did you make packs with your friends, or you know, like, is there like when you first show up in the city, like, and I'm I showed up here with a bunch of friends, and seeing them go off and do different things, television and film and whatnot, it's always fun to realize, like, oh, we were there together, struggling mm-hmm. at the beginning of time mm-hmm. for us in the city. Yeah. It, did you make any packs with any friends or is um, it kind of like it was unspoken? Do you see them? Yes, it was unspoken. You know, one of the things that I'm going through right now is it's particularly three of us who, you know, because I'm 48, right? So those of us who were out in the 80s and who chose to stay out and who chose to take that road less traveled, you know, it was very bumpy for us and it was really, really, really difficult for us. You know, the world has cracked open in a different way and we see people who are a little bit younger than us having opportunities that didn't exist. There was nothing like Hamilton when I graduated from school. Mm -mm. If it wasn't a musical review where you were showing up to tap dance for the, you know, the white people, there wasn't anything to, like there were no stories, there were no human, you know, like other than dream girls, you know, which you can only do dream girls so many times. (laughs) (laughs) You know, which I love, I love the show, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's so many opportunities and it's so beautiful. I mean, even the fucking Lion King, you know, that didn't even exist. (laughs) (laughs) It's like so, you know, to watch it happen and to now be the old guy who can can benefit from the trails we've blazed. You know, my friend Nathan Lee Graham, who's on L.A. to Vegas, my friend Wilson Cruz, who's on Star Trek. Yeah. You know, it's like literally in this past year, it's really? <laughs> You're like, this is, <laughs> wow. Like really, we're actually ha- having a moment. You know, I'm getting ready to be on TV. Like for real? <laughs> like, <laughs> like for real. Yeah. And doing exactly the kind of work that I should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of um, art as activism work. You know? Yeah. 
on a Ryan Murphy television show. You know, like. <laughs> Just like, yeah, speechless. It's It blows my mind. Wow. You've really shown up for your life. Yeah, you have to. No matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, it really, and it's not, and it's not easy sometimes. <laughs> it yeah. Really sucks sometimes. <laughs> some days you it just want to really stay in bed. Sucks. You just want to really stay in bed. It really sucks sometimes, but you know, when you do it, when you, when you're truthful, when it finally happens, it's on your own terms. It's like, it's on my terms. Yeah. <laughs> It's affirming, like yeah. oh, all this time I was right. I knew I, I, I knew right. I would prevail. I was right. I was right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. So I have some like, because we're gonna wrap up here. Okay. We've been going an hour. I don't know if it feels like oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I have some like curveball questions here at the end. Um. Okay. First, is there a book that you've gifted quite a lot, or a book the artist way? The artist way. All the time. Okay, I'm putting that one in the show I notes give it so all people the can. Time. Is there anything you would be, you believe in that others may think is insane? Anything I believe in? No, I don't know. That's, That's okay. A really interesting question. I don't. You know, I think my family. And my and the people who I grew up with in church, you know, like that world yeah. would not be so thrilled with the idea that I question what the meaning of God is now. Hmm. You know, it was such an absolute when you're growing up. And I'm questioning where I fit in the paradigm of that. You know, it's like I'm a very spiritual person. I call my spiritual, you know, whatever. I call it God yeah. just because that's what we call it. But when you break it down, I'm not sure what that means anymore. And I'm on a mission to figure that out. I'm on a mission. Yeah. You know, it's like seeing what's going on in the world and. You know, and it, this has been since the beginning of history, but, you know, every war has, every war that has ever been fought is about somebody's God. Yep. Every one of them. Yep. I don't, I, I, I don't know how to respond Where's to that. Where's the sense in that? Yeah. I don't know how to respond to that. That's, that's something that I've been really, really struggling with over the last decade or so. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. More than a decade. Is or what is a um, common piece of incorrect advice that you hear in your field or in life? A common piece of incorrect advice. Um when the energy surrounding you is about forsaking yourself forsaking your truth it's very easy to fall into that yeah you know when you look at the landscape and you see no job or you see no money or you see 
you know, blacklist or you see whatever it is that you might see. The last thing you want to do is forsake yourself. Don't let anybody tell you to do that. Yeah, that's a good answer. Do you have a favorite failure or a failure that set you up for success? Um, my favorite failure is that <laughs> the Broadway star thing didn't happen before I was forced to find myself for real. That's my favorite failure because Lola wouldn't have been me because I was in the quagmire of trying to please people and trying to be the thing that everybody wanted me to be. And, right, right. you know, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much we can talk about this or not. Your new show, the TV show coming out. We can talk about, or, we can just talk about what it is. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. So for people who don't know, yeah, it's a <laughs> new show, show called out. pose yeah. that was created by Stephen Cannells and, um, you know, executive produced by Ryan Murphy and, you know, it's it takes place in the eighties. It's two worlds colliding: the the rise of Wall Street, i.e., Trump, and the sort of black and brown LGBTQ Paris is burning ball culture, and how those mm. two energies were clashing in the eighties, um, while this community was fighting for their lives, and that other community was taking all the money. Mm-hmm. This is going to be on Sound F- familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Art imitating. Uh, this is going to be on FX? It's going to be on FX. This summer. June. Mm-hmm. June. Oh, I'm excited for it. I'm excited and I'm, for it. You know, he wrote the part for me. Once again, it's like Ryan created this part for me. The trailblazing thing again. Yeah. You know, the paying off waiting for years and years and years for this moment Uh you know i've wanted film and television for so long never fit in never the right fit never the right fit boom you know and to have it be the character that it is and in the television show you know yeah it's like this this administration is trying to erase the word transgender from the just erase an entire group of people yeah. Just think, oh, we can just ban that. You know, this series has five transgender actresses of color in leading series regular roles. It's amazing. It's like, that's what I mean by art as activism. It's like, this is coming out and you can be rest assured that all those white people in, <laughs> in that <laughs> White House are going to lose their minds. Lose their minds. Yeah. You can't erase people, whether you agree or not. <laughs> you can't erase people. Do you have, is there a quote that comes to mind that you put on a billboard, if you could, for hundreds of millions of people to see? Lord Jesus. We can come back to that if you need to think on oh, it for a second. Lord. <laughs> okay, okay, we can come back to that one. I want to I talk, because we're wrapping up here. Are those native Ken? These are native Ken. Yes, yes they are. These are my husband's new spring collections and nobody has them yet. They're beautiful. So for everyone who can't see, because we're just doing audio, those are his glasses. And they're gorgeous. I love these glasses. Yes. It's a bigger frame, you know, yes. dramatic. All your glasses are native camera. All your sunglasses? Uh, a lot of them? Since he started a year ago. Yeah. Yes, okay. Since my husband started the line. 
with his partner, Chris, um, Native Ken, 8th Avenue between 19th and 20th on the east side of the street. Um, yes. <laughs> Plug it. <laughs> you know, I'm very proud of him. And yeah. He's taken that leap on his own creatively and, you know, leaving the, the comfort of, yeah. of doing it for other people and doing it for himself. And it's really, it's it's really wonderful to see. They look great. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for giving me your time. My pleasure. Sorry chat. it took so long. Oh no. The no, cancellations no. and the life happens. I'm not that I'm not that girl. <laughs> Is there any parting words you want to give our listeners or any? George Wolf said to me at one point, this is one of the th- the pieces of advice that I hold on to all the time. You can't ever wait for other people to give you permission to practice your art. I you have that. to be practicing it all the time. Not waiting. Regardless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the it seems so simple and it's so true. Yeah, it can be so difficult yeah. for some to overcome that yeah. barrier of fear to yeah. give themselves permission. I love that. Billy, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.